is Jesus, and what the heck does he have to do with my life? That is the question for these weeks of Advent, as we anticipate the celebration of the birth of Christ. Who is Jesus, and what does he have to do with my life? In our gospel lesson today, we are reminded that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of justice. In Jesus, in Christ the Messiah, we see God make his reign. And it is in Christ that God's justice is done. It is in Christ that God's justice has been done, and it is in Christ that God's justice will be done. This is the promise in our gospel lesson this morning. Mark's gospel was written in 70 CE, 70 of this common era. And as Mark is recounting Jesus' words, Jesus is reminding his listeners that he will come in his glory to rule, that they do not know the day or the hour, but the promise will be fulfilled. We might imagine, and scholars do imagine, that people who were living in 70 thought this is it. The first readers of Mark's gospel might think, this is it, Christ is coming now. Because remember how it is, they said, that Jesus said this generation will not pass away. And here we are, one generation removed from the resurrection of Christ. Here it is, Christ is coming now. It was a a fraughtful place, Jerusalem, in 70. The Jewish revolt over the Roman Empire was filled with destruction. The temple was destroyed. And the wall that was left is the wall that is still there in Jerusalem. The Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. That's what's left of the temple from 70. And so people anticipated the Messiah coming to make everything right. Jesus' words in Mark's Gospel would remind his listeners of God's promise even from the book of Daniel. You see, in Mark's Gospel, this is an apocalyptic teaching about the end times, when Christ comes and makes all things right. And he is reminding them of the apocalyptic writings of the book of Daniel. In that time in the Jewish history, there was yet another emperor, another ruler, who was oppressing the Jewish people. It was illegal to be of any religion other than of paying homage to the emperor, This was about 167 before the Common Era. The Jewish people could not practice circumcision. They could not practice sacrifice. It was against the law to have a copy of the Torah. And they led a revolt over that particular empire, the Maccabean Revolt. That was the time and the period in which Daniel was written. And that book of Daniel was reminding people of Daniel back in the 6th century before the Common Era, when the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon. And Daniel was faithful, praying to his God, even though it was against the rules. So these apocalyptic writings, if that's what you want to call them, these, these writings about the end time, when Christ will come again and establish his kingdom, they are not about a list of things that will happen in order or quick succession, for the coming of the Son of Man. Instead, they are meant to remind us of what God has done throughout history so that we might know how to look for God in this day and age. Mark's Gospel reminds his listeners of Jesus' words a generation ago. 
Jesus reminds his listeners of what happened, what was recounted in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel reminds people of what happened in Babylon. As we go back in history, we are reminded that God will fulfill God's promise of bringing justice. And as Christian people, we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's justice. Tertullian lived right around the end of the second century and the start of the third, probably around 160 to 225. And I want to share with you his writings on this passage of scripture. This is Tertullian, his writings on this passage of scripture from Mark. If you examine this whole passage of scripture from the inquiry of the disciples down to the parable of the fig tree, you will find that it makes sense at every point in connection with the coming of the Son of Man. He will bring both sorrow and joy. The Son of Man is coming in the midst of both calamities and promises, both the grief of nations and the longing of the saints. He is the common element in both. He who is common to both will end the one by inflicting judgment on the nations and will commence the other by fulfilling the longings of the saints. Tertullian, who is writing back in the late 100s, reminds us of God's promise in Jesus and that when Christ comes again, the fulfillment of God's justice, he will abolish the wrongs and the evils and liberate the saints. He will be active in both parts, in all parts of bringing about his kingdom. So we might wonder, what does this have to do with my life? Here we are in 21st century America. Well, I want to share with you a story that I heard first person of a woman and how God's justice was made known in her own life. And I share it with you because I think that it highlights the importance of us coming to know God's justice in our own lives so that we might know how to look for God's justice collectively. We have the stories of scripture that remind us of God's justice in all time, his promise to fulfill that, and how it has been fulfilled in Jesus. And now we also need to recognize how it happens in our own lives so that we might know how to look for it, how it is that God fulfills God's promise in Jesus. This story is a heavy story. It does involve a crime. And I wondered if I should tell it, but I decided that I would because I want you to realize that God's justice is in the real stuff, in the real parts of our lives where wrongs have been done, the real things that hit deeply within us. This woman told her own story when I was in college in chapel. The room was filled with at least 600 people. This was some 22 years ago that she told this story. She talked about an evening, a particular evening in fact, it was Halloween, and her family had gone out for trick-or-treating, her husband had taken the kids, and she had stayed back to disperse the candy. She heard the sliding glass door in the basement open, so she went downstairs to see. And there, in a full disguise, was someone who had entered her home and proceeded to commit a crime against her, particular to her. We know that this happens all the time, and it was happening to her. 
In the wake of that horrible event, she wondered what to do next. Her husband was out with the kids. What should she do to prepare to share this? How should she be in her own home when they returned? Should she be there? How would she share this with her husband and protect her children at the same time? And then, as happens with all crimes of this nature, she went through all of the things wondering if she owned some of this crime. Was it her own fault that she didn't lock the sliding glass door? Had she done something in some way to bring this on herself? As she was sharing this very personal story of this crime committed against her, she went on to talk about God's justice in her life. That which you would expect to follow such a crime was still unfinished as far as court proceedings, as far as justice in that regard. But she talked about God's justice in her own life, how God had freed her in Christ from the burden of this crime against her, how she had found a way to move forward in her life because of God's justice in her, God reminding her of who she is, and God reminding her of the promise that she would be free. I share that story with you because I want you to know that God's justice is about the real things. What it is we long for in Christ and God's promise and fulfillment in Christ is the real stuff. It comes to the very heart of the things that are important in life, the real wrongs that have been committed. This is the promise made known in Christ the fulfillment made known in Jesus. We hear about wrongs in our nation in the wake of what has come out of the courts in Ferguson, Missouri. This week has been heavy with the news of the response to that judgment. Indeed, in my email yesterday, I got sent something from our bishop, which had been sent something from the Executive Council of the Episcopal Church in a meeting that they'd had at the end of the month of October. And so in this email, in these writings, I was encouraged to share with you some of the work that the church is doing in response, or in calling us to do in response to the tragedies, not only in Ferguson, but around our country. It reminded me that we don't get the news about how the religious communities are responding to the wrongs not only in Ferguson, but in other neighborhoods around our country. We don't hear about the promises of God in Christ that the ministers of those congregations are reminding their people that God's justice is ours to receive now, even as we have to wait for the long justice to unfold through the courts and the society that we share. So I was charged to share with you this news from the Episcopal Church. And I wrote, wrote it down. It comes from the Executive Council, as I mentioned before, of the Episcopal Church, which met in Maryland at the end of October of this year. In light of the violent deaths of black youth that have recently dominated the news media, we confess that we as a society have failed to respect the dignity of every human being. We remember and lament the shooting deaths of Jordan Davis, a 17-year-old black boy killed in 2012 for playing loud music in a car at a gas station in Jacksonville. Trayvon Martin, 
a 17-year-old African-American boy killed in 2012 while walking home after buying snacks in Sanford, Florida. Renisha McBride, a 19-year-old African-American girl shot to death in 2013 while seeking help for car trouble on a front porch in Detroit. And Michael Brown, an 18-year-old African-American boy killed by a police officer this year, 2014, in the middle of the street in Ferguson, Missouri, and other such deaths. And in response to our church's adoption of the Anglican Marks of Mission, specifically the Mark of Mission number four, which says, to seek to transform unjust structures of satiety, to challenge violence of every kind, and to pursue peace and reconciliation, that hashtag Black Lives Matter too. And we instruct all clergy to address the matter of racism in homilies and in educational offerings and ask them to print for their congregation the House of Bishops pastoral letter of, on the sin of racism from March 1994 and the House of Bishops in subsequent 2006 pastoral letter, A Call to Covenant. This was what was in my inbox yesterday. And I said to God, people don't want to hear this. Nobody wants to come to church the Sunday after Thanksgiving to hear about what we haven't paid attention to, about the wrongs in our society. And God said, Whitney, pray for them. Pray for them to know the good news. Pray for them to remember the good news. The good news that God has come in Christ to fulfill God's promise of justice. And that even now, God makes God's self available in Christ to address the injustices of our world, both individually and collectively. Because I know that we have striven to be faithful. You and I, we've worked hard at that. And we didn't mean to not notice what was going on when we were being diligent and responsible with the important things that fill our lives. We have been trying. So God wants us to remember the good news, that that which God calls forth in us, God has already given us, that in Christ is the fulfillment of God's justice, and that when God asks us to be faithful in living in that reign of justice, God equips us fully for that. He equips us for it in Jesus. That is the good news. And it's already available to us. We only need to remember that it is, and we remember that it is through knowing the stories of our scripture, sitting with our scriptures on a daily basis to remember how God has acted throughout all time so that we might know how to look for how God acts now. The Bible is filled, that's what it is, is story after story of God's saving work throughout all history. And when we come to know that simply by reading it, that's where we have to start and let God work those stories in us. And God makes God's self available in prayer. In relationship with God, we begin to know how to look for God. These two things are all that's asked of us to make time for our prayer and our study so that we might know how God has worked throughout history. And that way we know how to look for God to work in our current life. Who is Jesus? He is the fulfillment of God's promise of justice. He himself is, and he is available to us now 
to know God's justice in our lives, to know God's justice in our lives. That's what it has to do with us. And so we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen.